listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Hey, we are, so I've been, had been ministering on uh, intervertently, intervertently, I think intermittently, that's probably a better yeah, word. Over the last, you know, six weeks or so of just concerning finances, the purpose of finances. And one thing that I mentioned um, probably a month ago was about this. I briefly mentioned the spirit of mammon, but didn't go into a lot of detail. And today, Liz and I, um, and she's really got a lot of revelation in this area. And so I said, you have to help me do this. So we're going to talk to you about the spirit of mammon. And just so we don't forget to tell you what it actually is, but the spirit of mammon is really just a spirit that is on money to make you trust in money as opposed to trusting in God, which is where our source is. That's really what the spirit of mammon is. And so um, Jesus, and and as a matter of fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to talk about the spirit of mammon. And actually, probably Liz is going to talk about it more than I am, uh, which you want to come over here or you're going to write? That's right. So as I talk, when I get to that point, Liz is going to write. And then when she's talking, I'm going to write. And so this is uh, teamwork. Teamwork. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, so I want, to, I want to read just a little bit here. Um, actually, I'm going, to, I'm going to wait. Now let's read it. So Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to go to verse 24. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. I'm going to read this one verse and then I'll come back and read uh, the rest of the chapter in a few minutes. But this whole section here, it's talking, it starts off talking about the spirit of mammon, and then it moves into talking about more of what that looks like, which is basically don't worry um, and don't be concerned about things to come, but put your trust in the Lord. But it says, no one can serve two masters. So again, this is Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So what I've, one of the things I find in this verse is that both God and mammon are looking for servants, but you can't serve both of them. So in other words, you can't put your trust and serve your ability and serve what money can do and really truly trust and serve the Lord in the area of finances. You're either going to put your trust in one, serve the, the one and be uh, loyal to one, or you're going to be that way to the other one. And so this is really important. What I found is that, and Liz is going to share her testimony. It's so powerful, just about how God, her and I both were delivered from the spirit of mammon. And uh, it was amazing. We were both convulsing on the floor and foaming at the mouth. And I'm just kidding. That didn't really happen, right? <laughs> but sometimes when we, when we say like, you know, we got delivered from something, that's automatically what our minds go to. But un- you have to understand how the enemy works. The enemy works to train people's thinking. And when you're under the influence of, of the enemy, then he will train your thinking versus if you're under the influence of the Holy Ghost in any given area, then the Lord will train your thinking. And so I, there was a time years ago, and I really didn't even put two and two together for a long time, that that's when I got delivered from the spirit of mammon when I finally said, Lord, I am not going to be Lord over my finances, but you are going to be Lord. And when I did that, instantly things started to change in my thinking and in my life. And then it was years later when Liz experienced something similar. However, even though we, we came out from underneath of that, and it wasn't weird or anything, it was just like, God, I'm turning my heart from here and I'm turning my heart to here. I mean, it was just as simple as that. It's, it's not, we talk about deliverance, it's not strange. But what happened when I got delivered is that my mind still had to be renewed. 
because I was thinking how I was trained versus how the Holy Spirit versus the Word of God, how it would train me to think. And so we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. She's going to give you a little bit more on the spirit of mammon in just a minute. But I wanted to share with you just some really practical things concerning like how, like how to handle uh, money. And Liz and I, neither one, um, I wouldn't say that money or finances is really like our, our strong suit, but really that's more of a testimony because you can, you can do good and be a good steward over your money and prosper and increase even if you're not a genius at it. Yay. Amen. There's hope for anybody that will just take some basic principles in the word, walk with the Lord, and you can see change start to happen in your finances. And so we've been through, a, we're, we're pretty young, being 25 like we are. Um, we, well, you don't think we look 25? What's wrong with you? But we, we're still relatively young, and, but we've walked through a lot of really stupid things. Oh, kids are in here. I shouldn't say stupid, but whatever. Silly things. Uh, I know, I get when I use that word, the boys are like, you're not supposed to say that, so I apologize. But anyways, we walked, we've done some really, we made some poor choices is what I was trying to get at. And we walked through some things, we've dealt with some hard conditions, and we've learned a lot. Now, we're not, uh, we're not where we want to be financially, but we are really moving in the right direction. And when we just took some really basic things and changed the way we were, way we were seeing things and the way we were looking at things, it really, really helped us. And so I'm going to talk just for a few minutes here about what that looks like. And so basically with our money, this is super practical, all right? I'm usually more like, let's get into the Word and let me, let me teach you from the Word. But this is super practical. So everybody has 100% of their money come to them, correct? Right? So whether it's $1,000 or $100,000, all right? So whether you make $20,000 a year or you make $200,000 a year, that is 100% of your money. Um, and I, I read, or Liz actually read recently, this story that really, I mean, it really put it and pressed something in my heart. Um, and even to back up a little bit more, I remember this, I've heard several people say this, and, but I remember this one guy saying to me, and when he said it, I thought, I don't think that's right. And the older I've gotten, I realized that definitely is not right. He said, you are going to live on whatever amount of money that you have come, come into you. And basically, that was my experience whether I was making this much money or this much money, it all seemed to be gone at the end of the week or at the end of the year. <laughs> so what he said seemed to be true. Well, that's because that's how he was living. But the truth is, if we can recondition our thinking to handle finances more accurately, we can increase whether you make $15,000 a year or $150,000 a year. You can increase with what you have if you steward it properly. And the Bible has tons to say about us stewarding our finances properly. And so Liz read this book or read the story in this book, and it really, she read it to all of us, and it really struck a chord in my heart. And so basically, the son had come to, to the father, and he was saying, Dad, I really want this. I've got this much money. Can I buy this? And he was always wanting to go and buy uh, anything he could with the amount of money that, that he had. Has anybody ever had a kid like that in here to where it's like they got, I remember one time my younger brother, I was with him and he's like, literally, he had like 68 cents in his pocket. He pulls it out and he goes, what can I buy with this? And it was, that's the mentality that, and he was like nine or something. So, you know, but that's the mentality sometimes that we even carry into adulthood and we've, we've not gotten rid of that. And so this guy who was a, who was a wealthy 
uh, wealthy person. He had learned how to steward money. See, people think about wealth oftentimes as they've got a lot of money, so they're wealthy. But we need to look at wealth differently, that they've done well with their money, and that's how they've become wealthy. Not everybody was born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Some are. Most aren't. The wise people learn how to increase with what they have so that they can become stewards over even more. Amen? But in this story, this man took his son and he said, son, I want to show you something. And he went into a really bad part of town on the other side of the tracks. And he went to this old broken down house. And he, and the, the, the screen door was hanging off of it and it needed painted and it was tilted. And it was just a really, in really bad condition. And he said, son, do you know what kind of person lives there? And he said, what kind of person, dad? He said, the kind of person that lives on 100% of their money. And he was like, okay, dad. So then they go over to another part of town and they go to this big, beautiful house with all of the, you know, they had all the, the bells and whistles and it was beautiful. And he said, son, do you know what kind of person lives in that house? And he said, what kind, dad? He said, somebody who lives on 70% of their money. Because see, we have this mentality that has been ingrained. I, I can say for me, and I, maybe I shouldn't judge you by my standards, but I know for me to where it was like you have this much money come in and you just do with whatever the money, whatever you want to do with it. That's not necessarily, let me say this again. It's necessarily not being a good steward. That's not being a good steward. We should know what money comes in, whether it's this amount or it's this amount, and we should purpose every single dollar that comes in. And I want to show you, this is our, this is basically Liz and I's financial plan. Now, we've got more, we've got budgets and things like that and involved in this, so we're just giving you just a basic overview. And this is what we have come to find works for us. And it's interesting that as soon as we shifted our thinking before we actually even implemented it, we started to see increase in our life. See, the Lord, see, God's, God's love for you will never withhold anything from you. As a father, he will give you anything and everything. That's his heart for you. But sometimes you have to look and wonder when you're dealing with situations, am I dealing with the heart of a father or the wisdom of the master? It's a good question to ask because the love of the father would never withhold anything. Amen. I think everybody agrees with that. But the Bible also talks about being good stewards and that when we are faithful with the little, we'll be made ruler over more. And, you know, he gave talents to the different, the, Jesus gave the parable of the, of the talents and the master went away and he gave, I think it was one to one servant, two to another and five to another, if I remember, if my numbers are correct. And so the question begs, well, why didn't he give, just give them all equal amount? It's because the master knew the servants, and he knew their level of stewardship with what he was giving them. And he knew the one that had the five would do well. He knew the one that had the two would do well. But when it came to the one with the one, he already knew how that person, how that servant was going to handle that amount of money. And so I, the question begs, why did he give them anything? Because that's what a merciful person will do, give chance after chance after chance. God will continue to give us chances. But it's interesting that as soon as we started to think different, because stewardship is a mentality, it's not about how much money you have. It's a mentality, whether you have 10 cents or you have $10,000, what are you going to do with what comes into you? And so a couple of years ago, we really, and Liz was the pioneer in this, she really began to ask, what are we doing with our money? 
What, what are we going to do if someone comes and gives us a million dollars? Everybody thinks about that. It basically never happens. But we all think, hey, what if someone just gave me $10 million or whatever? But it is a legitimate question. What would you do with it? What would that look like? And here's the deal is that if you can't answer the question for $10, then you're not going to answer it correctly for $10 million. So what we do, every single penny, and I shouldn't say every penny because there's definitely some loose change that probably doesn't make it through the system, but we have a filter with all of the money that comes to us any which way that it does. Not only our, our paycheck, but just different ways that people might bless us, different things that you know we might sell something or whatever, however that might work. Everything gets funneled through this. This is basically our financial plan. And so we have 70% of our money that we live off of, or we're getting really close to that. We're working close to that more and more all the time. Um, we tithe, and actually, really, at this one, we probably should have put it first, because that really, when we have money come in, it's our mentality. And I believe in tithing. I don't teach it as law, but just as principle, I believe it's right. It was there from Genesis, and it's all the way through the Bible. Thank you. And, uh, but that's our very first deal, is that when we have a dollar that comes in, 10, per, 10 cents, 10% 10 of it automatically goes in uh, to the church. We don't even think about it. Um, it's just part of what we do. And so that's, that's how we've come to do that. And then we have 70% um, that, we, uh, that, we live, that we live off of. And actually, this is how we do this also. Our offerings we actually pull out of our 70%. And so whenever we give like to like a guest speaker or we'll give into missions or we give into the building fund, things like that, we actually pull that out of our 70%. This 10%, we, we leave just to, just to put directly into the church. We believe in that and we practice that. And so then we also have 10, and now this is where things really started to shift for us. We, have, we put 10% into savings and then we put 10% into an investment account. And you say, well, what does that look like? Is it the stock market? It's just 10% that you take to where you can take it and increase that 10% to where it grows. Now, it could look different for different people. If you're good at the stock market, great. I am not. I've lost money in the stock market. I've lost money in cryptocurrency. I do, not, I do not really mess with those anymore. Unless the Lord tells me to do it, I probably won't. But there's other things that you can invest in. You know, real estate, that's one thing that we're currently investing in right now is real estate and planning to do more of it in the future because we kind of know that or have some kind of an idea. But the point is, is that you have 10% that you can multiply. So what most people do, and if we can have the first pie up there, what, this is how most people live um, in the world, is they have 100% of their money that, that comes into them, and they take that 100% of their money, and they, they just live off of that, which is pretty much what I, I just described. Now, the, the common if I could say the common Christian, the average Christian, uh, how they live is they also have 100% of their money that comes to them. Everybody has 100%. And a person who's got a revelation about the idea of tithing, they will take 90% of their money and live off of 90%. Now, I'm giving you percentages that work for us. This is between you and your spouse and your home, whatever works for you. And sometimes you start somewhere and you grow into it. But most people, most Christians live in this place of 70, of 90%, living off of 90%, and then they give 10%. And so they use all of that 90% for all of whatever they need to do in, in living, uh, it, whether it be not only just food, but going on vacation, anything like that. And so what we discovered is that there's a couple of things that happen if you live in this mentality. Number one, you don't have a savings, 
And a savings, the reason you have a savings account, I believe primarily should be just for, it's like an emergency fund where you have money like, man, we really need to do this. We really need to do that. Uh, Say, for example, you want to give into the building fund, but you're like, I have no dollars in the bank. You know, you could actually go and pull from your savings and then go back and replenish it, but you have that money when you need it. Or like, we need new tires on the car or the washing machine broke or whatever it is that you need to go and replace. A savings will allow you to be able to do the things without having to go and borrow. Because what happens is when you live off of the 90%, you're committed to give 10% into the Lord, but you have things that come up and you don't have a savings, what do you do? You go borrow money. And when you borrow money, you're, actually, you're paying interest. Normally, you're paying interest on that. And then you're having to figure out how to refinagle this 90% to pay that new debt that you've incurred. The first step in financial increase, listen to me, this is very important, is not taking on new debt. I'll say debt elimination, but then don't take on on any new debt. Sometimes we pay pay things off and it's like, woohoo, I can afford a new car payment. (laughs) I had $300 in and credit cards, now I can go buy a new car. Well, is the one you have. And there's nothing wrong with having a new set of wheels. And I'm not totally against having a loan for things. If that, if that helps you and you need to do that, I'm not trying to put anybody in a box or condemn anybody. But it's the mentality of always going and getting things when we can't yet af- afford it. And if we can escape that mentality and step into, I'm not going to be a servant to my money, but my money is going to serve me then we can begin to do things that cause wealth. There's been, that cause our wealth to grow. There's been a mentality, I think, in the church for a lot of years of just give and then you're going to see increase, but there's not been a lot on stewardship. This is what I believe will cause somebody to be prosperous. Give and then spend less than you make and do it over a long period of time and you'll, you'll gain wealth. It's just, it's just really, really simple. But where we, I really believe we miss it and Liz and I are speaking from experience. We have missed it royally. We've had all kinds of debt problems. We've had all kinds of stuff that, hallelujah, God's a deliverer, and he's delivered us out of that stuff, and we're so thankful. But we stepped, we, we used to be here, and when I um, got free from the spirit of mammon, I stepped over into here. And up until the last couple of years, I mostly had been living here with the right heart, but not a lot of understanding. So then we started to move over into here. So you say, how do you go from 90% to 70%? How do you go from living off of 90% to living off of 70%? Are you ready for this? It's adjustments. You make a shift in your life. We went from living in, and the Lord had us buy the last house that we were in. We went from living in a house um, that cost us X number of dollars a month, and it was a blessing to us. We made, I think we, I don't know what our actual profit was, but we walked away with like $50,000 from the house. It was such a blessing. But monthly, it, was, it stretched us constantly. You know what we did? We moved from a five-bedroom, four-bathroom, 3,000-square-foot home that sucked utilities like it was nobody's business because it was an old house into another old house that is much smaller that we paid way less money for. And so our, our mortgage, and again, I'm not against using debt if it's going to help you, and you can leverage debt to make money, those kind of things. And so we, went, we moved into something that nobody likes as well. We liked the old house a lot better. It was bigger. We had more bathrooms. They were nicer bathrooms. The bedrooms were nicer. We had a better, um, you know, a family room space. All the, Everything was way better. Our backyard was nice and just all of that stuff. But we made an adjustment because we value being able to increase more than we value comfort at staying at the 90%. 
And so when we made the, made the adjustment in our life like we needed to, it freed up more money. So now we're closer to that 70% mark and we're taking, we still, of course, tithe, but now we also save and we invest. And so we have money that we take every week and we, I mean, every month or however it's working out, we put into savings and we put into investment. And this has allowed us to begin to grow our wealth. So what most, and I would say, I could, I could see a show of hands and every person in here would say, yes, that's me, that they want to give more into the church. They want to give more into the body of Christ. And so sometimes what you'll do when you have somebody that is a really radical giver, they'll take this, um, they'll take their 90% and, and they'll move it down to 80 and then they'll put all of their money here and this 10 becomes 20. I love the heart, but can I tell you that it's not always wisdom? This is a guy that needs money to operate in ministry telling you that it's not always wisdom to give more. Amen. You know why? Because you're taking money that you could be putting into the investment pile and multiplying that to make your 100% go, say, from 100000 to now it could go to 125000 which would up your 10% from $10,000 to $12,500. Does that make sense? So we need to begin to look at things a little bit different. And if we will take our money and put it into places to where we can have growth and we can have increase, you can get to where, if you had, imagine, if you have $50,000 a year for your family, that's, and nowadays that's not a lot of money to live on, amen? Um, but if you could grow this 10%, that you're investing, and eventually you can get to where you're making a lot of money, and instead of having $50,000 come in as your 100%, you could have $500,000 come in as your 100%. And if you're only needing, say, $100,000 to live on, now your 70% gets reduced way down. You're still living really well, but you have more money to put into savings and more money into investing. Your overall is amount, so your 10% has increased. So your 10% would go from $5,000 a year into the church to $50,000 a year into the church. Is this, make, is this starting to make sense? We just very practically need to think differently concerning how we handle finances. Now, I want to, I want to now really, I want to turn it over to Liz. This is super practical, and that's about all of the wisdom I have concerning how to handle finances. People ask me sometimes, how do I budget? How do I get out of debt? How do I increase? These are some just very basic things. And here's one of the deals, too. Let me throw this in there, too. When it comes to the idea of like an investment, and also just, you know, the 70% is just however you make money, however that money comes to you. You know, those are ways, those are streams of income. And this is how I look at wealth. Wealth is like the ocean, but streams of income are like a river, like rivers. And the more streams of income you have coming into your ocean, the fuller it can come. So you have to learn to diversify. You can only make so much money from the amount of time that you're putting into the job that you're doing. You're only going to make so much. You only have so many hours in the day, and your talents, as, as valuable as they are, they're only worth so much money. So you have to begin to take some of your money and make it work for you. Because most of us, and there's nothing wrong with working for money. We all work for money in here. We all work in here to make a living. It's good. It's healthy. It's right. You need to take care of your family. But when you can go from just working to make a paycheck 
to where you take part of that paycheck and put it to work for you. And the more you do that, the more you'll have to do that. And eventually you can get to the point to where you're not having to work for money, but money literally is working for you. And that becomes your income. That, that's a good way to be. And I'm not saying that I'm there, but I'm saying that I've listened and we've listened to so many wealthy people that are Christians that have seen this happen, and we've already started to see this happen in our lives. So we thought, you know what, we're just going to share some of our little secrets here that God's, that God's put in our heart and, and continue on that track so you guys can continue with us. Amen. So Liz has this amazing testimony about really what happened concerning the spirit of mammon. And while she, she talks, I want to write. Yeah, so, you know... The, the spirit of mammon is real, and you don't know that it's influencing you because I would say that I'm a lover and a server of the Lord. And so it's so amazing how I had been asking questions of the Lord a lot. I'm like, Lord, I see where we are, and I see where we need to be, and I want to produce finances for the kingdom. It's in my heart. It's what I want to be about. But I don't know how to do it. So I started reading books and I started getting material and just all sorts of things. And I, I can tell you that I'm super excited and I haven't learned all the ways of investing or whatnot, but I'm, I'm on my way. And so I'm, I'm very, very excited about all this stuff. But the very first place that I had to come to was mammon and getting delivered from the spirit of mammon. And I, I didn't even know that term. Actually, it was so amazing because the Lord, you know, he's so good and he takes you to places. And I was stuck in Matthew six for so long. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. You know, Matthew six, if you haven't read it, it's so, it's so awesome. So I'm reading through it and I get to, um, verse 24 and it says, no one can serve two masters. You either have to hate one and love the other or, you know, be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and you can't serve mammon. And I'm like, I don't, that's not a problem. I don't serve mammon. I serve the Lord. That, that is so awesome. Okay, keep going. Don't worry. Okay, that gave me, I was like, and that word worry there, it means to be in, divided into pieces. And so I was like, you know, Lord, have some worry, and it talks about don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, you know, all that stuff, and I'm like, I don't want to worry about these things. I had like this nagging, and, and let me take you back, like a long time ago, we made stupid, stupid <sighs> mistakes. Um, I said stupid, and I'm the one who usually says, don't say that. Okay. I feel pretty good right about now. <laughs> For once, I'm on the high road. Okay, we we were foolish. Yeah. We made foolish mistakes, and sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. So right. I, we got ourselves in a position where we had a lot of money going out and not a lot of money coming in, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know what we're gonna do. And he wasn't working tons. This is before we started in ministry, and I. I was having babies, and I was working tons, and I'm like, okay, I'll just keep working and working, and we're going to just 
say, you know, can't get to work, and we're, we're trying on our own strength to come up with enough money. And, you know, we did see God meet us, and there were miracles that happened in those moments, but it was still like, what am I going to do? And that's in the point where he said, Lord, I am not going to be Lord over our finances any longer, and he got free from that. But I wasn't saying that. I was saying, what am I supposed to do? How am I going to make this better? I can, I, I'm going to work more, and anytime there's an extra shift, I'm going to pick it up, and I'm going to just suck it up, and I'm going to do what I need to do because we were the ones who put ourselves in this place and, and whatever. And so I remember driving home one day. They let me go from work early because they didn't need me. And I was like, Lord, I need to work. We need money. I have like an electric bill due, and I don't know how I'm going to pay it. And I don't want my lights to be turned off, you know? And so I, I was just, I was bawling all the way home. And I got home, and I hid myself in a closet because I was so overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. And I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And literally, nobody could find me. They knew I was home. We had, I think, Kingston and Elijah at that point. And I, I was hiding. And they were like calling for me and looking for me. And they couldn't find me. And I knew that they were looking for me. But I was so gripped with fear and anxiety that I couldn't even get out of the closet and then it like clicked and I was like I I can't do this this is not the life that I am supposed to live I can't be a mom to my kids and take care of them if I am so much fear that I'm shut up in a closet and so I started doing what I need to do. I got teachings. I put the word in me. I started speaking forth the word of God. I knew that the word of God was able to change things. So, but I want you to get this. I was doing it on my own. I was putting the word of God, and the word of God changes everything, and the word of God is important, and you have to renew your mind to the word of God. So don't get me wrong, but I was in faith, so I thought by just saying the word. And guess what that did? It suppressed that feeling. So anytime that anxiety would come up, I'd be like, nope, that's not what the word says. That's not what God says. He promised that he is going to take care of me. And I've seen him take care of me. So I've had testimony. I had promise from the word. I was speaking that so I could put, I could get that worry and I can get that anxiety at bay. I could push it down by the word of God. But still, I wasn't dealing with the underlying issue. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm asking the Lord. I'm like, I see where we need to go, and I see where I want to be. And I know what you say about um, finances and money and wealth and that we, being the believers, like, in my heart is to pursue the kingdom and see the kingdom advance. And I want to be a person that God funnels money through. So why, why am I not seeing that? And so I'm asking the Lord a question because what was happening all of a sudden is that that fear and that anxiety, it was coming back and it was like coming back like a, a vengeance. And I wasn't able to quite keep it at bay. And I was still speaking the word and I still trusted the Lord. And I still, I, I was doing the things that I knew to do, but I, I was still going to bed with that 
anxiety. I know that some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I was still waking up thinking, and I still couldn't open up my bank accounts for fear that there wasn't going to be money when I opened it up, even though I knew there was going to be money. And then I had the tendency to not want to pay bills because I didn't want to let go of that money because I was scared if I let go of it, then it wouldn't be there. So I was like, Lord, there is a problem in me. What is going on? I don't, like, I can't wrap my head around this. I don't quite understand, but I know that you can show me. And so, you know, the Lord, he's so good, and he asks you to do things, whatever. And so he was just telling me to do things, and then I was still saying, Lord, there's this anxiety. There's this worry. There's this fear. I'm divided. I can't focus, and I can't keep it at bay, and what am I supposed to do? And um, I don't want it anymore. How do I get rid of it? And all of a sudden, I, uh, somebody sent me this teaching. Are you going to say something? Oh, okay. And, um, and they started talking about the spirit of mammon and some, some symptoms of the spirit of mammon. And I can, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was outside. It was a really nice day. I had my notepad out because I was taking notes because he was teaching about wealth building. But, you know, the thing that he had to do, he said, is that I, I didn't, he didn't start teaching about what you do with the money that you have. He started telling people about the purpose of money and about just dealing with internal issues because, you know, it says... Um, as your soul prospers, so will you. And if you're not prospering on the inside, you're not going to prosper on the outside, no matter what you do. And so that's the Lord's heart because he knows that on the outside, if you get so much, it will crush you if you're not able to handle it on the inside. And he knows that people's eyes get really big when they see really nice things or have this money and they have a heart. They're like, okay, I'm going to give my tithe to the church. That's awesome. I'm going to bless some people, but what can I get? How is this going to help me? What I can go buy a car. And, And that's why you see people who win the lottery, who become bankrupt because it's an issue inside of them. It's never, there's never going to be enough money until you take care of what's on the inside of you first. And so he began talking about the spirit of mammon. And I was like, I've heard this verse before, but then he talked about the symptoms and it was like, as soon as he taught, I mean, talked it went right through me. And I was like, I am serving mammon. I am not allowing me to be the master of the money. The money's being the master of me. And it's telling me how to feel and where to go and what yeah. to do. And I was like, that's wrong. And yeah. so I, I, you know, at the end, he's like, all you have to do is say no more. And it was like, as soon As soon as I said, no more, in the name of Jesus, it was like that anxiety and that fear, it was gone. It was obliterated. Now, let me say this. There is, we talked, Kent said about the residue. There's some residue. So you have to renew your mind because you see, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. But it's a process. It's a transformation. The Lord said the only way you can transform is by renewing your mind to the spirit of God, renewing your mind to heaven's standards. And so 
I was like, Lord, show me how heaven's economy works. Show me how to participate with you. And it's just like literally all of a sudden overnight, all of our financial situation changed because I changed on the inside. So I want to begin to show you guys um, about the symptoms of mammon. And I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you by the spirit of God, because as soon as I read this and Kent was teaching on finances, I said, this is it. This is the thing that will cause freedom. And when there is freedom, then there is wealth can come and that you then have the the Lord says that he gives us the power to get wealth. The power to get wealth lies on the inside of us, not for selfish gain. It's for the kingdom. That's right. But we have to know what you know, how to, how to deal with the wealth or whatever. And so the Lord was saying, this is where freedom comes. So when you hear some of these symptoms, don't shut down. Don't shut down. Don't feel condemned. Don't, don't say, I can't take this or I've, I've messed up. Just say, Lord, show me. I'm opening my heart to you. I'm opening my life to you. I will allow you to just fix these conditions in my heart so that we can go forward. Yeah. Amen. And I just want to say about that, that, you know, when it comes like she was saying, you know, don't, don't shut down, but receive this. Cause some of these things that we're getting ready to share, they're kind of hard to hear. And I would say that probably everybody in here has been affected by the spirit of mammon. And you, when you hear these things, you're gonna be like, Oh my gosh, I thought that way. I've been thinking that way. Or even I'm, I'm an honestly in bondage to several of these things. You don't want to shut down because the Bible says that the enemy comes when to steal the word immediately to steal the word, even while you're sitting in your seats and the Holy Spirit will begin to deal with your heart to help you. Don't allow the enemy to steal these these things from you. Amen. So what she's going to do, yeah. So what she's going to do, she's going to list. Um, I got this. So what she's going to do, she's going to list. Um, I think we've got 10, there's 10 different symptoms and just give a brief description of those symptoms um, of what the spirit of mammon really looks like in, you know, in manifestation and in, in symptom form. But this is really important that we understand this. There's a couple, there's a spectrum of how the spirit of mammon looks, how it manifests. All right. And so this is the spectrum of mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N. All right. On one end of the spectrum, you have an element of fear. And I want to say it just right. It's fear that refuses to look at details. So it's fear that refuses to look at the details, all right? And this is the person that says, what I don't know won't hurt me, but what you don't know will hurt you. Yes, (laughs) yeah, ignorance is not bliss. On the other end of the spectrum, it's fear that says I have to look At every detail, and already in your minds, you can start to see where most people will fall either this way or either that way. Either it's like, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, when really what's in the heart is, 
I don't even like what Liz was dealing with. I don't even want to look at my bank account because I just can't handle it if there's not any money in there. I don't want to look and see how much money I've really been spending on cappuccinos, on whatever else, or at Walmart, or at Academy Sports, or wherever else. I don't even want to look. I'd rather just not know. And what happens is when you stay in that place, you can never really take care and properly handle things. And on the other end of the spectrum, you could have a totally wealthy person that's bound by the spirit of mammon because being bound doesn't have anything to do with the amount of money you have. It has to do with the trust. Where are you trusting? On this end of the spectrum, you could have somebody that is totally bound by the spirit of mammon with a million dollars in the bank because they have to know every single detail. They freak out about money all the time. I had somebody, it would have been my step-grandma's uncle. I don't even know how to figure that out. But she, my step-grandma, when she was a child, lived with her uncle, and this man wore, he was, a, he was a farmer, and they lived in a shanty with no running water, no electricity. He wore bib overalls and had thousands of dollars in his front pocket of his bib overalls. That's somebody who knows all the details of stuff, but is bound by the spirit of mammon. Liz is going to give some things that will indicate that. So as she lists these, I'm going to write them out. So you want to do this side and that side. And then there's a couple of them that can fit with either way. Right, right. So I'm going to say this, and it's kind of cutting. And this is where I'm at. But this fear to refuse to look at the details kind of looks a lot like faith. It says, I'm not going to worry about it because God's going to take care of me. So I don't need to know the details because I know God's my provider. And honestly, I mean, that's where I was. And it's it's just, that's not the wisdom of the Lord. So so one symptom over here is money mismanagement or no management at all. No system, no records, no plan. Because faith says, God's going to take care of me, so I don't need to know. When, you know, in all reality, the Lord's a God of order. That's right. We see that when he made creation, he made things very specifically in order so that we wouldn't just have the oceans coming all over the land all the time, you know? That's right. So, he is, in this, you can read um, a great verse about money management is in Proverbs 27, 23 through 27. We're not going to read that, but just, it says, be diligent to know the state of your flock. It says, be diligent. Yeah. And the Lord showed me, this is, this Lizology. Ken says Kenology, I'll say Lizology. It's just being excellent over time in the day-to-day. Yeah. So this is knowing daily what's happening because, you know, the Lord, the Lord showed me or, or I read as like, you know, a millionaire, a billionaire, whatever. They know exactly how much money they have oh, yeah. to the penny. Yeah. And listen if- to this. The wealthiest guy I've ever listened to, his name is Paul Milligan and, and he, he just kind of retired, but he used to run Andrew Walmack's uh, uh, ministry. And I know because of different things, he has at least $25 million. I know he has at least that, but I suspect a lot more. And he said, I heard him say, I don't take $100 out of my bank account without my wife knowing it. I was like, I take $100 out of my bank account without my wife knowing it. I know. It it. showed the mentality. (laughs) (laughs) She knows. (laughs) She got a GPS tracker on my car. She's got my phone turned on tracking. 
So uh, that's but, not control, okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> but it shows the mentality of somebody that was not seeing money right versus somebody that was. Now you could get over and be over into this thing, and he wasn't saying that, but he was good at managing money. And so we're gonna have to go through these faster. Okay. Whenever we get through. Okay. Um, number oh, consistent financial lack. So this is saying. I, I never have enough, and then so I'm going to have to go acquire more debt so that I can take care of the things. I mean, this is why the payday loan places are open oh, all yeah. over the place. Yeah. Like, there's two or three in this town alone. Because, more like five, but yeah. Okay, whatever. That's a lot, and I like. I'm like, you just you go. You need money now, so you can go get money to buy whatever it is that you think that you need. And this is where actually us who are wise stewards can be like, I'll loan you the money. Yeah. Then I can make money off of your money. Well, all that's right. what all of those places did, I know, and yet you're, but I'm you're just criticizing them. Yes. So it's a double standard, Liz. No, I no. know. Okay. But so I will say this, just so there's some compassion. <laughs> Normally, I'm not the one doing the compassion thing. That's her. But let me just say this. Those places are there, and people have used them because they've needed them. And I'm, we're not trying to criticize anybody, but we are saying we need to get to a point to where we don't have to rely on yeah. hand-to-mouth type of living. To where, but you have access there. You can live from the with the barrel full instead of the barrel empty. Amen. That's right. This yes. is like the bottom of the barrel, and where you're having to go from miracle to miracle instead of just living out of the overflow. Yeah, amen. So, um, impulse buying. Impulse buying. Because you don't know how much money you have or if you even have enough and you're so moved by mammon, you're just like, I want that. And a lot of times yeah. it comes in like, I've worked really hard. I deserve this. Yeah. I'm owed this. I like this. This is where you go and you buy something because it feels really good to your flesh and then you get home and you're like, oh, I can remorse. do set of nails, things like that. I mean, any, you know, anything like that. No, I don't have remorse about nails. <laughs> um, okay. That was already I, included in the 70%. I was, I it's okay. for that, okay? I, I have, de I mean, details. You need to know the things that you want and you need and you like. I mean, okay, bondage to debt. Bondage to debt. So this is just that you're bound to debt. And nope. oftentimes, this one will lead to this yes. one. It's like, I want that. I want to go on the vacation. I want to buy the car. And those, no, those things are not They're wrong. Not bad, no. They're not bad. It's just bad when they have you. Right. It's bad when it controls you. And essentially, and we've probably, most of us have been there before, we wanted something so bad, and we did it. And then we spent the next two or three months or two or three years or whatever it was paying off that decision that we made that put us further into the hole. We have to stop the mentality. Right. When you could have used that money to pay off your debt and then later been able to buy that thing that you want to do. But it's, it's about making those adjustments and making that shift in your thinking and not allowing mammon to control you, That's but right. you control mammon. Because you have to realize money was instituted by man. And money, all it is, before they had money, they exchanged goods. Money is just a tool. It's a vehicle that we use to exchange goods. Yeah, it right. has value on it because, although right now in this economy, no, um, just kidding. Uh, it has value on it. And so, you know, 
this shirt's going to cost $20, and so you exchange your $20, and you get the shirt. So it's, it's literally a tool, and when you start looking at money as a tool, as a vehicle, of a means of exchange, then all of a sudden, it, it kind of will begin to lose its um, control over you. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so the next side is... So again, this is fear that says... I have to look at every detail. Mammon can make you have that fear as well as fear of refusing to look at details. Right, and this is worry and anxiety about money because you're, as you're wanting to control things, you're worrying about if I'll have enough or if I won't have enough. And because you are worried that you won't have enough, a lot of times you won't do the things that you need to do. And so the next mentality is I can't afford it. You're constantly saying, I can't afford it, even if you can afford it. But a lot of times this comes out because you haven't defined, and this can be a poor person or this can be a rich person. You haven't defined exactly what, how much is enough. Yes, and so this, this really is have, it's the difference between having a, a financial freedom mentality or a financial security mentality. Yes. And so, you know, back when a lot of the people came out of the Great Depression, they developed a financial security mentality. It wasn't bad, but it didn't cause them to think outside of me, my four, no more. And so it was like the economy was bad. People lost their jobs. There was bread lines. They come out of that and they're like, I'm getting a job. I'm saving every penny that I can because I want to make sure I'm taken care of. That's right to an extent, but if you're, if you're, if your goal is just being secure, you've missed out on the purpose of what finances can do. And really it's to be totally free to where you're not bound to just working for the rest of your life and only taking care of your family, but to where you can create great wealth, you're free and you can give into the kingdom of God and do things that you really want to do. So Right, which leads us right into stinginess. And that is just exactly what Pastor said is like, this is mine, I worked for it and... Nobody else can have it, and I'm not going to let go of it, and I want to keep it. And this is where you see people, you know, have, like, money and mattresses that nobody knew about until they passed away, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. The next one is greed. I wish I had some family members like that. I know, anyways. right? Greed. Greed. Not greedy, but just who had lots of money and mattresses that we didn't know about. That'd be great. <laughs> Even if they were greedy, so long as they left the money, I'm fine with that. <laughs> So greed is just having more of what you already have. Yep. It's like, I need to get more. I need to get more. These you see a lot in like a workaholic or, um, you know, just people who are are after the dollar. You know, and it's, it's interesting is that I've heard so many people. I literally have heard hundreds, if not thousands of people in my day say they'll, they'll mention a wealthy person or whatever, and they'll be like, they're greedy. And they automatically associate wealth with greed. But greed is a heart condition. Not, That's right. It's not about the amount of money you have in your pocket. It's about wanting, it's about wanting more and being lustful after, after more. You can have that in a wealthy person, but you can also have that in a poor person. To be honest with you, I've probably met more poor greedy people than I have rich greedy people. And it's often why they stay in their condition because they want things and they want money so bad that as soon as they get it, it's gone because they don't have any understanding of how to, how to use it properly. Right. And so with both of these, you see discontentment. So this applies to both. There's two more of these yep. symptoms and it applies to both of these. Discontentment. I mean, and that's just not being content with any place that you are because you haven't defined exactly, you know, what they 
call closing the circle or how much is enough, when you don't define that, then you're always going to be in a state of discontentment. And this yeah. can go for both wealthy or um, poor people, just people in general. If you're discontent, then you probably, you haven't, you haven't defined exactly what it is that, what, what is enough. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is that I've had more people quote, because Paul talks about, I know how to be a base, and I know how to, how to abound, and he talked about, you know, all the things that he, that he didn't have and the lowly state that he lived and things like that, and I've had more people, because you're, they're like, you're one of those prosperity preachers, and I, I'm like, yes, I am. I absolutely am. Thank you for acknowledging that, and then they automatically will say things like, well, you're just not content. And it's like, well, you need to qualify that. Am I content with my current house and my cars and, you know, all of that? Absolutely. And if I had less, I would still be content. But what I'm not content with is the amount of money I'm using to put into the gospel to get people saved. That is the reason why we should want to prosper. Amen. So I take exception to people that call me a prosperity preacher but don't understand my heart behind it. But for the ones that understand it, thank you for calling me a prosperity preacher. Right. God's prosperous, and he gave Jesus. That's right. We should want to give. Right. And, and you know, discontentment, too, is, what was I going to say? I don't know. I don't know. You kept talking. But we I better wrap this up because the kids okay. are getting discontent. Okay. Um, well, oh, it's security. It's, it's not knowing. Well, at least you didn't want to yawn while I was talking. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Be careful because I might yawn. Um, it's not being discontent, and this is why Paul was able to say no matter what circumstance he was in, he yeah. was content, and that's because he knew that God was his source, his source. and right. not the circumstance. That's right. Um, and to, the last thing is an exaggerated emphasis on of money and its power over you. So this is basically that you don't know the purpose behind money, therefore it controls you. This is a lot. And it's, is any, anybody can read my handwriting, power. You over. did it actually pretty well. I'm kind of proud of you. I like that compliment. So an exaggerated emphasis on money and its power over you. Can and you explain that just briefly? Well, it's just that you don't, you don't know the purpose of money and because you don't know the purpose of money it gets to control you and define to you what you're going to do or what you're not going to do versus you controlling the money yeah and so this is just you know everything is like the a lot of times you hear the statement if or when yeah if i get this then i will be or when i get this then i will do and actually, it should be right now. Because if you look at the parable of the loaves and the fish, and Jesus rebuked um, the disciples because they said, Lord, how are we going to feed all these people? And they were looking at the circumstances and putting emphasis on the fact that they didn't know how. And Jesus said, no, we have to look at what we have. And the little boy, he came and he said, I have these loaves and these fishes and in that place of looking at what they had, then the multiplication took place because you started saying, I'm going to use the things that I have instead of waiting for when I get, because let me tell you, ifs and whens never happen because it's an issue inside of you. That's right. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says that he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Everybody's an eater. Everybody needs money to buy things to live on, but not everybody is a, is a sower. Not everybody has a mentality to do something. And I'm not just talking about giving, but I'm talking about being wise. Not everybody has a, a, a funnel, how they funnel the money that's going to come to them before it comes to them. And so they don't see the increase. And it goes back to the if and when. When this happens, then I'll become a sower. When this happens, then I'll invest money. Most people are waiting to invest money. They're like, you know, if I had $30,000, I'd put it in Bitcoin right now, or I would buy an apartment complex, or I would want Well, why don't you start now with saving and investing with what little you can? Let God grow that thing, because in all of this, we don't want to forget there's a supernatural God That's that right. will supernaturally increase us in everything that we do, everything we put our hand to, to our storehouses, and to the land that he's called us on to. God is an ever-increasing God. He ever-increases right. us. Let us never forget that in all the midst of this. But instead of making excuses, let's say, I'm going to change in Jesus' name, and I'm not going to be bound by these things, but I'm going to be free so I can run my household well, and I can also run the household of God well, and I can do the things that God wants me to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.